Welcome back to Behind the Tofu. The podcast that brings you behind the tofu, exploring underrepresented topics and issues surrounding veganism. I'm Ashley. You can find me on Twitter at Generally Done. I'm Seth. You can find me on Twitter at Bolts and Bombers. And you can find us on Twitter, the podcast on Twitter at Behind the Tofu. Um, And you can find us on Instagram at Behind the Tofu Podcast. Today we have uh, my friend Gail Mayer. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little about yourself before we get into the questions? Sure. Yeah. So my name's Gail. I'm getting close to my 10 year anniversary as a vegan, about nine and a half years right now. I have worked in a nonprofit for many years as a, a humane educator, teaching a variety of topics to, to school age children from, well, we cover human, right is, human rights issues, animal rights issues, and environmental issues. I recently, a few years ago, went back to school to be a registered dietitian. So I do a little bit of both of those things now, not so much dietitian, well, not so much of either really with the pandemic, but um, still kind of trying to keep both of them going. So can you say what nonprofit you work for? Yeah. So I've worked for several. Um, The one that I've worked for the longest is one called HEART, which is an acronym for Humane Education Advocates Reaching Teachers. I worked for, no longer worked for, but Uh, did for a while, another nonprofit, which is now called the Educated Choices Program. And um, one that I've worked for on and off for many years is called the Coalition for Healthy School Food. Okay, there was just one more, which I was working for for a few months before uh, the pandemic started, which as a dietitian, which was, uh, it's called the Northern Manhattan Perinatal Partnership. How did the journey go for you? And um, have you had any challenges in the past 10 years? So I start, I would say I started my journey more like 17 years ago Um, when I was a freshman in college. um, I took a class on lifespan development and um, for, so this was all surrounded by health stuff at the time. There was a lot of things that kind of happened, but um, I, I grew up with a kind of, kind of like a, always a sense of awareness about waste this idea that like, I didn't deserve to, to take more from the earth than what was needed to sustain my life. So I was kind of always as a child, even against the idea of like luxury items and stuff like that. Um, and I remember when I was a freshman in college, PETA did an exhibit on my campus. It was just, it was very simple exhibit. It was just like these big, like signs that they erected in the, in a big field. And um, they had like pictures on them and then a lot of words to read. And so I saw it and I read it. It was about all different forms of animal exploitation. And I don't think any, none of it really like stuck with me except for one thing, which was the like 15 pounds of grain for one pound of meat. And because I had always had this like focus in my mind on like not using more than what I should use from the earth. Uh, I was like, "Wow, that's so wasteful! Like, we should just eat the 15 pounds of grain." <laughs> Doesn't it was like, I was like, "That's like throwing away 14 pounds of grains. Like, this is not good." So between that and the lifespan development course that I took, and um, my, my grandma from when I was like sometime when I was in high school had been had gotten really sick and. Um, was in a nursing home and 
and really suffering a lot um, at that toward like for the last many years of her life. And between those three things, like watching her suffer and like thinking like there's gotta be something people could do so that the last years of their life are not horrible like this, like not sitting in a wheelchair, wearing diapers, like needing someone to clean, clean you and do everything for you. All these kinds of ideas were, were like coming to me at the same, around the same time. I just was mostly focused on the health thing, but definitely the, the waste part of it was a huge factor for me too. And I didn't become vegan or even vegetarian um, for a very long time after that, but it did start my journey towards like changing my diet. Because before that, I didn't think about what I ate at all. I ate tons of fast food, whatever junk I wanted, didn't matter. I grew up sort of like, I wouldn't say a picky eater, but like if I didn't want to eat whatever my mom was serving, she didn't care. I could just eat like a bagel for dinner or whatever. And like, I ate a lot of like mac and cheese from a box and Chef Boyardee and like whatever, those stupid kid food, right? So I started, you know, that year, like the end of my freshman year of college, I started to learn a little bit more about nutrition and what foods contribute to good health and realize that it's, oh, it's vegetables. <laughs> so I started figuring out how to eat vegetables and like add them to everything that I was eating or eat them as a whole meal by themselves. And then I very slowly over the next, uh, let's say eight years, um, I very slowly learned more and more and more. And at some point I became pescatarian. I started taking out land animals one by one kind of a thing over years. So it was very, very gradual became pescatarian. And then I remember when I was pescatarian, often at, at this point in my life, I was in grad school. I often would have like TV on in the background while I was like doing work. And I remember there, I had Animal Planet on in the background. I remember that there was like some documentary or show or whatever. And the narrator said, scientists estimate that we only have, or that by 2048, there will be no fish left in the ocean. And I heard that one sentence and I said, to myself, oh my God, like, the, what are the dolphins going to eat? Like, what are the polar bears going to eat? So I was like, I can't eat fish anymore because that's not my food. And I don't want to take it away from the dolphins and the polar bears because if we lose them, I mean, that's horrible in and of itself, but also like eventually, like the more species that keep going ex extinct eventually is going to cause human extinction. So that was the last fish that I didn't eat any more fish after that. And then I, gradually like decided dairy and eggs had to go too. So I don't think it was difficult though. It wasn't like any of these things were challenges, but that may be because I was, I really only took out one thing at a time. Literally. I never like sat down and was like, I'm never eating all these animal products ever again. It was just like, I'm just not going to eat any more of this one. And then once that was like, I haven't had that in like, months or years on to the next right so do you suggest a kind of gradual approach to going vegan to other people or do you or have you changed your mindset on that over time i often recommend an individualized approach i think people should think about what's going to work for them uh, some people can do a full 
overhaul overnight and it works and they stick stick with it. But some people try that and they end up going back because it's overwhelming. I think that people should really think about how much change they think they can handle at once and you know, design their plan according to that. As long as they get there. I think your story is a good testament to people who are intimidated by veganism because like you're saying, you know, some people see the idea of cutting out all the animal products overnight and that scares the crap out of them. And, you know, sure, you can do that, but you don't have to, which is important for people to remember. Yeah. I mean, back when I was making these changes, I had no intention of being vegan. I didn't really know what vegan, I don't think, I remember actually my roommate, my sophomore year of college, my roommate had a cookbook in the kitchen, which was how it all, it was called how it all vegan with where vegan is obviously a play on the word began. And I had never heard the word before. I looked at this cookbook. I was like, why, why is there a V at the beginning of the word, which should be a B like, <laughs> and I didn't know what it was. And I don't think I, I didn't even look at the cookbook book. I didn't even look up the word and find out what it meant. Like I, but I was changing my diet. I just didn't have like this end goal in mind. And there was no, you know, documentary at the time, like earthlings wasn't even out, I think back then. And like, if it was, I had never heard of it until many, many, many years later. Um, so there was nothing I could like, you know, read or watch or that I knew of, I could have maybe found animal liberation. Cause that's came out in the seventies or whatever, but I hadn't come across any resources that would give me all the information to, to, to convince me to go vegan. Um, I just was finding these little bits one by one, like individual things. So going back to your, your initial um, interest with the idea of waste when it comes to going vegan, I want to tie that into the topic that we wanted to focus on was, um, so what is, how would you describe uh, the modern day problem of overconsumption and, and overconsumerism to someone who isn't really as familiar with it. Have either of you seen the story of stuff? Ah, okay. So if I had to describe the problem of overconsumerism to someone who wasn't familiar, I would recommend that they watch the story of, of stuff. Um, it's 20 minutes. Uh, it's kind of, it's a little bit outdated now. Um, it's from a few years ago, but it's a really good overview of how production of, of consumer products is harming the planet. Uh, it goes through, I think there's like five stages beginning with, I don't know, I probably won't remember all of them, but I know the first one is like extraction of natural resources, right? And then it's like every stage along the way. So like, let's say extraction of natural resources, manufacturing would be like maybe the next one distribution might be the next one. And then maybe the next one is like purchasing or some version of that and then disposal. So, and it goes through like every step along the way we're causing harm to the planet. So we cause harm when we extract natural resources. Then during manufacturing, we cause more harm. There's all these chemicals that go into it. And it's not just the planet, right? Like the the humans that are involved in this system, the people who work in these, the people who work in the mines, extracting the natural resources, the people who work in the factories, producing all these products are exposed to these chemicals or they, um, their livelihood 
has been uprooted by companies that come in to, you know, places that were doing just fine living off the land. And then companies come in and they put these factory there and they say, you can't live off the land anymore. You have to work in our factory. Um, there's a great documentary that covers that, which is called The End of Poverty. And it talks about how all these corporations have gone all over the world and taken over places, taken away the way people sustain their lives, you know, buying up land and stuff like that, and then putting a factory and then saying, you, the only way you can live is by working in this factory and making a paycheck and then using your paycheck to buy stuff which they never, like these people didn't live like that before. They just grew their food and stuff. So, and then distribution. So we're trucking things all over the world. Of course, that is, that is damaging as well. Purchasing like in the, I think in the video, she talks about how like we're on this, there's a, there's a name for it that I'm not going to remember, but we're on this like kind of like wheel where we have to go to work because we need money, even though we hate our jobs. And then we use the money to buy things that we can't afford. And then we have to work more because we can't afford all the stuff we're buying. And then all these things make us so unhappy. Uh, we have to numb our minds with like television because we can't like tolerate life. And the television convinces us we need to buy more stuff. And it's just like this endless cycle of like feeling horrible about ourselves because we don't have the right stuff. We don't have the new stuff. And then we can't afford the new stuff. So we have to work this job that we hate. It's a ridiculous system that is hard, like just so harmful to all of us. Um, and then there's what comes after that is the disposal, which is like, we're destroying the planet by like dumping everything. I think one of the statistics she gives in the film is it's a really staggering statistic something like 99% of the things people buy end up in the landfill within six months, which is just insane to think about all the stuff that we're buying. People go out there and they like shop all day. So it's like the stores are filled with all these things and like all, all of that stuff that everyone's buying is going to be in the landfill six months, less than six months later. Like how can we do this? Like, this is totally unsustainable and nothing in the landfill breaks down. It just stays there. You can look at these charts. There's all these charts that tell you like how long things take to break down in the landfill. And it's like, okay, food products break down, but uh, literally everything else takes like thousands of years. If not, if not, then just never, like plastic never breaks down. So and everything else takes like thousands of years. Uh, I went to um, Copenhagen on a sustainability and uh, just a general like energy thing a couple years ago for college. There's a uh, garbage power plant in Copenhagen. It looks like a ski slope. It's really cool. Anyway, so my question is, uh, do you think that that, at least the last part of that, uh, do you think that that is going to be combated in the future, like getting rid of the waste that we produce? Opinion on that, do you think that's actually like, do you think that it's actually good or do you think it's just encouraging people to continue to, to live their lives a certain way? I think that we're going to need like a multitude of tactics to to turn things around. So I guess that's one of them. I wouldn't discount it as an option. Um, you know, 
one of the things that we really need to focus on is a circular system. So where we're not producing things that just go in one end and come out the other endlessly. So if it's circular, we can take whatever we aren't using anymore and turn it into something we're gonna use again. Um, and that's really the most sustainable way, but that may not work for everything. So for things that don't, maybe we can use the, you know, the system you're talking about in Copenhagen. Um, and then another part of the system overall just has to be, we have to use less. We just have, we just have to, we just have to like use what we already have instead of throwing it away and buying something new every month, you know, the way we're doing right now. So when it comes to the idea of veganism and how consumerism impacts it, a lot of vegans I find tend to stray away from seeing us as environmental activists. And despite the fact that some people portray or, you know, label us as that and understandably so. And, you know, obviously we're primarily act advocating for animals, but I believe that we should be also advocating for, and I'm sure you agree with this, um, advocating for low waste lifestyles and changes in how things work. Um, but why should we, uh, just as someone who may not already be on board with that idea? So I think a lot of vegans don't realize that the impact on wildlife. So if you care about animals, you care about wild animals and you care about their environment being, being habitable for them, right? So a lot of vegans, I mean, there's definitely, you know, there's all, there's all different kinds. Veganism is, is by no means like homogenous. It's, it's so diverse. Um, and there's a lot of people who really don't know, don't think about um, anything beyond, you know, basic, simple diet changes, like the, you know, just eliminate animal products. Um, then there's a lot of vegans who understand some of the next level stuff like palm oil. So they'll avoid palm oil, things like that. Um, and then some, you know, realize that plastic is harming wildlife, harming um, sea life. So they might avoid plastic straws or a few single use plastic items. But I really think that more of us should be taking an even wider view of the whole thing because we really, if we look at the whole system and like I was telling you about like the five steps discussed in this, in the story of stuff, every single one of those steps also harms wildlife. Extracting natural resources, mining for natural resources harms wildlife, destroys their habitat, causes pollution, causes the, the uh, like, chem like chemicals are used in these processes that are toxic right, which cause wildlife to have higher rates of cancer, malformations, all kinds of things, right, that are harmful and make it impossible for them to survive. Um, and then every other step along the way, again, like we're releasing all these toxic chemicals in the manufacturing process, we're causing climate change, climate change is gonna impact wildlife more than it impacts humans, right. So 
if we care about animals, we care about wildlife, we, we have to consider everything that we buy. Everything that we buy has an impact on wildlife. And we have to expand the way we're thinking about, um, about our, our choices and how our choices impact them and, and about how the way things are made, right? Like I remember, I know this is not typical of any human, but like, I remember some of the things that I thought about as a child, like I would kind of like lay in my bed and think about how like a pencil was made and think about how like somebody had to chop down a tree. I'm thinking about like all these steps in the process and all the humans, each human that was involved and all all the people that touched the parts of the pencil, right? Somebody chopped down a tree, somebody mined this graphite or whatever is in the middle. Somebody mined the little metal piece at the top. Somebody mined the little rubber that goes into the, and then there's, and then all those things got shipped to a factory. And then, then there's a factory that, cut all these things into the right shapes and put them all together and made them all into the right places and things. And then somebody had, there's a machines. Oh my God. Like the machines, there's huge machines that like need maintenance and like, Oh, like if you think about this, it's like, this is the things that I thought of as when I was a little kid. Right. I'm like thinking about a fucking pencil from, from the time that it was a tree and, and, and then what do you do with the little, when it's like this, then it goes to the landfill. So, and like, for some reason, one of the things that really was a factor that I thought about a lot was how the amount of human labor that goes into everything, including making a pencil. And I was just, I was just, I remember kind of marveling at the idea that like, how many hours of human labor were invested in this pencil that so many people just throw away if the tip breaks, even though it's still perfectly good and just needs to be sharpened or something like that, right? So I have a comment on that and I have a question for you. Sure. Um, so the, the fact that everything that we buy um, has hours and hours and hours of human labor, um, you kind of just like, you know, in it right i guess like it's it's value is a lot of human hours um that means that any type of i guess fight against uh buying products like being a consumer is going to automatically have uh of course like economic impacts and i know that you've probably had a lot of arguments about that so i want to know how you approach those uh those arguments about what about the economy um because that's you know that's a, something that we're going to continue to to come up and have those issues when we're going forward is that it's going to hurt the economy to make changes. Um, and how would you suggest that we uh, approach that and, you know, allow it to not hurt the economy? Yeah, well, I can't, I can't say I have a, a very realistic answer to that because I don't know how realistic it is for us to completely overhaul our understanding of economics. Um, but I don't buy into you know, the endless growth economic system that we are currently operating under where growth, growth, growth and profits for shareholders is like the only thing that matters. Um, I, I don't think that growth is necessary 
in, in economics. I think it should be perfectly fine for us to not grow our, our, our economic system, um, for it to just stay at one rate, whatever, as long, I think we need, and economics is like a completely made up thing. So since it's completely made up, we can completely make up what it means. And instead of it meaning profits for shareholders, we can change it so that it means every human has food and the environment is uh, in good shape. It's not being harmed. And th that can be economics, right? Economics can be like meeting all the needs of humans and animals on the planet. Economics can be, a, we can include happiness right? Like it can, it can be whatever we want it to be. So um, I think we need to change the way we're thinking about what economics is. Then, I mean, obviously the current economic system is not beneficial to most people on this planet. Um, exactly. So I agree with you completely. Uh, I just wanted to, to see what your approach to that was. Sorry, go on. Yeah, yeah. And then in terms of thinking about, um, like, I, I, I obviously am sensitive to the idea that like, these are people's jobs, right? And if we um, if we stop manufacturing the many, 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 many things that we don't need to be manufacturing, those people will lose jobs, which is true. But think about the way the world, I mean, our current system of consumerism is extremely new in the history of human existence. So if we, if, let's, Think about what it was like before this massive consumerism. Humans were doing just fine. Like they grew food. They did what they built houses. They did what they needed, what we needed for survival, not what we needed for just, you know, excess and what the way people are living now. So I feel like we could, re we could return to us, a, a a more natural lifestyle, a more like indigenous type of lifestyle, but also there could be a lot of jobs in repair uh, because we don't repair anything right now. Um, so that could be a huge job uh, creator, right? Just a system of repair and, and there could be jobs in taking the old and making it into to new things instead of taking new, you know, newly mined, stuff and making it into new. So I think that as it, if, if we are able to go down this path, as it evolves, it will create jobs for people. It'll just be different. Yeah. So I think how do you, Oh, sorry. I had another question, but Seth, you can go for it. You can ask the next question. Sure. I mean, uh, I think, I think that's a really great approach to, I guess, a societal uh, path on change, but I'm curious, like, again, for someone new to this as well, what would you recommend for uh, personal and individual change that's beyond just getting a reusable water bottle? Because I mean, the idea, I mean, I know you, you, you haven't said the word or I haven't said the word yet either, but the idea of zero waste or low waste can be intimidating to people as well. And that can be a pretty gradual process for people as well as I can imagine it was for you. Oh, totally. Very gradual. Um, I mean, I think that there, there's an idea that what people can do is something called like a, a waste or a trash audit where you kind of really closely scrutinize everything you're throwing away and thinking about how you could prevent from that item ending up in your 
garbage can um, or in your possession in the first place. So that's like more individualized approach, right? Looking at exactly what you are responsible for specifically because everyone kind of has different patterns. But some of the changes that I made, I mean, um, yeah, so obviously water bottle. I started thinking of water in a plastic bottle as like something that I pretend doesn't exist. So if I didn't remember to bring my water bottle, then I will not die of thirst. I just might be thirsty. Or, um, I, or I could buy something, but I would never buy anything in plastic. So I look at what the choices are. There's always something that I could buy that's in glass or in um, like a paper carton or something, right? So the, I don't think that any disposable items are, are like ideal, but anything's better than plastic. Um, so if I'm really, really like in a jam or I like have to, then I'll go for like a glass bottle usually or something that's not plastic, but, um, but I try, I'm pretty good about remembering my water bottle these days. And then other changes that I made, I got bamboo utensils. So I just carry those and I don't take the plastic ones. Um, I generally don't eat out as much like in the same way that other people do. So I'm like, if I'm going to eat out, I try to, or I mean, take out like, you know, eating in restaurants is whatever is not a waste issue, but um, getting takeout is. Um, so I typically like, there's a lot of things that I typically don't order at takeout if I'm getting takeout because I, it, I won't like the, the packaging that it comes in. And so I usually go first sandwich or a wrap or something that just comes in like a wrapped up in paper. I have my own, pro, uh, obviously reusable bags when you go to the grocery store. I also have my own produce bags. Um, so I don't, you know, use the plastic bags in the produce aisle. I try not to buy things that are already in plastic if I could get it without the plastic. And I try to do a lot of bulk before the pandemic. This is all changed now, but before the pandemic, um, my, the store I shop in has a lot, has a really good bulk section. So like I could get all my beans without, and I have my own bags that I put it in. I get all my beans without plastic. I could get flour. I could get pasta even. There's only like one option for pasta, but at least whatever. I could get um, grains, any grain that I really could want. Um, even things like popcorn, nuts, seeds, all the stuff just put in my own bag. No, no plastic. There's also a store in Brooklyn called Package, Package Free, I think. It's been a while. I've been there. I mean, they, they changed the way they're doing things because of the pandemic. And I don't even know exactly how it goes. But before, everything there was was no packaging and so you could just go in and with your own stuff and like buy everything bulk I started getting like my baking soda there I use baking soda instead of cleaning products um because it's much more environmentally friendly it's not packaged in plastic it's no chemicals so I know I'm not getting cancer from it and I'm not like making my the water system toxic Things like that, right? I change all my cleaning products. I, I make my own toothpaste. I make my own deodorant. Um, I use baking soda and vinegar for shampoo and conditioner. 
I like all that stuff. Like I just stopped buying everything. Um, and yeah, so maybe those aren't level one changes, but um, you know, as you go, I obviously didn't do all these things overnight. It was a gradual process. Um, so what I was going to say is I, I was actually going to make a personal comment. Um, I apologize, Seth, for interrupting so much. And I'm really, really enjoying this conversation. Um, so uh, I grew up a little bit differently than most people um, because I grew up in a household that is full of doomsday preppers. Uh, so actually, my entire family on my mom's side, they're, they're all uh, doomsday preppers. Um, therefore, everything um, is canned, jarred, uh, you know, reused a million and a half times. Um, and my family all, they do comp composting, you know, all of our extra food waste goes to, they have backyard chickens, which I don't agree with, but whatever. So I grew up in a very different kind of setup than most people. Um, and I wouldn't say that it's zero waste. It's definitely not zero waste, but I think it'd be easier for me to have this kind of transition because I already eat most of my food from like that my grandma, like grew herself and then put into a jar for me to eat specifically. Right. So, um, I kind of like, I want to ask you, um, or I guess like just kind of make comments, uh, if you, at least from my experience, if you want to learn how to be more zero waste, um, there's a lot of easy ways to kind of like easy things you can make that you can jar and you can save for yourself. Uh, so say you buy like a big thing of blackberries and you're like, Oh, I can't eat all of these at once. Um, you can actually put those in the freezer and they'll last for a long time and they'll taste just as fresh. Whenever you cook something, um, you can make a jelly with those pretty easy. All you do is mix it with sugar over the stove top and put it into a, if you want to add pectin to it, you can, but you don't have to put it in a jar and, you know, seal it by putting it in, in, into like a boiling thing of water. Like it's pretty easy to like buy things in bulk and then make things with them and then put it in a jar and save it for later. And a lot of people don't realize that like if you make soup and you don't want to eat the same soup multiple days in a row, you can actually just put it in a jar and like seal it and it'll be good for months. And then you can go back and eat it later. So um, I know it's kind of expensive to start with those kinds of things, like to buy jars. Um, but once you have a collection of them, which I do, and I, I always save, like if I buy like salsa at the store, I always save the jars from those. Um, if you start to like kind of put back everything that you uh, take, right? So you, you, you keep every glass jar that you get or you, um, you know, save things for later. It ends up getting easier and easier to do that. At least it was for me. I'm not zero waste, like I said, but um, maybe for people who are trying to find an intermediate way to kind of uh, start to put back you know, to not buy as much stuff. Yeah. I don't have like a, it's, I, this is something that I've thought about many times that would like definitely be a good investment, but I don't have like a canning thing system. Um, but I freeze a lot of stuff. So if I make too much of something, I throw it in the freezer, you know, it's still good. It's good. Like in a, you know, the next few months, it'll still be good. So, um, do you dry things? I don't have a dehydrator either. I, so I, this is like a little like a personal stuff, but my parents are kind of like food hoarders, not like your parents because they don't make their own of anything. They buy everything like at Costco and stuff. Um, but they have this walk-in pantry and it's just like full of garbage. It's not even good food. So I have a complex about food, like keeping. So I prefer to keep like, no, like I'm the, absolutely the opposite of what your 
parents do. <laughs> I have no food in my house most of the time. I, I literally just buy like what I'm going to eat for a few days. Um, and I, I really, part of that is the complex that I have about my parents' food hoarding. But the other part is um, that I, I don't like to see things go to waste. So I buy what I know I'm going to finish. And then the store is always there <laughs> if I want more stuff. Uh, what I was going to say is like the reason my parents are the way they are uh, <laughs> is it's just like generations of that. So, uh, you know, whatever. But um, I mean, like, I'm, this is, I'm going to cut this out. But when I say that they are food with their like doomsday preppers, I mean, like I've shown Seth in the Zoom call before. I mean, like there are like four closets in their house full of jarred foods. Um, there's like my grandma has a secret pull out wall that she can pull a cabinet out of her wall and it's just jars from ceiling to from floor to ceiling. Um, so when I say like they are doomsday preppers, I mean, like my grandma, like first started doing this. Um, of course, like she did it or before this, but she really started doing this more during the swine flu. Um, because she realized that, uh, you know, there was like a thing that came out around that time saying that animal based, um, right pandemics were going to be a thing and then when that started she decided that you know she was going to just do it more and more and more and uh then it just became a thing she does uh and she started making everything from scratch she makes all of her cheese she is not vegan but she makes all of her cheese from scratch yeah Um, it's interesting and i I, it's like for me my mental health i couldn't handle it because i don't like seeing that much of things because my mind goes to oh my god we're never going to use all of this (laughs) Um, and it's just going to go to waste. That's where my mind goes with it. But if some, like, I totally don't blame someone for thinking the opposite way that I do, because it makes sense. I do think it totally makes sense. I think this is not going to be the last pandemic of our lifetimes. Um, and the next one is probably going to be worse. Well, it also keeps them from going to the grocery store as much, because if you are like, when I go to my parents' house, I never have to be like, Hey, can you go get this vegan thing for me or this vegan thing for me? Can you go uh, buy me this? Even though sometimes they'll have Beyond or Emerge or whatever in the back in the freezer for me. Um, but every time I go over there, I know for a fact that there's going to be beans, that there's going to be applesauce, that there's going to be whatever I need. Like literally anything in the world you can think of that a vegan would need as a staple is there. So was all dried foods um, that I just had in my in my cabinet. And I think that if you just have like a baseline uh, or just for the listeners, if you have a baseline of dried foods, like you have oats to make oat milk, always have oats, always have, you know, beans, some sort of grain. Um, and then like other types of dried vegetables, I promise you, if you have like that baseline, um, it'll make not going to the store as much easier on you and you'll always have something to make. I really like the point you made about just having enough food to eat for a few days, because, um, one of the issues that we haven't touched upon is food waste. I believe the statistic is 40% of food in the United States is wasted, um, it's just gone straight to the landfill. And sure, it breaks down faster than all the other products that go into landfill, as you mentioned earlier. But it still emits a lot of uh, um, greenhouse gases, from what I understand, and it's pretty harmful. And I always feel really bad when I end up wasting food. And I've done a lot better at it over the years recently of, you know, making sure to uh, keep my produce fresh and eat things as fast as I can. Um, but I think it's definitely an issue not enough people are aware of as well because people will just buy stuff and then forget about it in the back of their fridge or, you know, 
Yeah. That, that's the household I grew up in was everything's in the back of the fridge forgotten about until it's spoiled and then it's in the trash. So I just, my, because I can't handle doing that. Like it hurts me. Like my soul just like is crushed every time, like a bag of kale goes into the, and it's, and then the way my parents shop too, it's like, they don't have, they live in the suburbs. It's very different. Um, and they don't have like places you can buy things without packaging. There's like whole foods. So they could, you know, they could get some stuff that way, but it's harder. Um, and so everything comes in packages, like all their produce and all their greens, you go to the store, it's like already bagged. Um, so it's not just the food you're throwing away. If it goes bad, the plastic is then completely wasted as well, because you didn't even eat the thing that, you, that it came in. Part of what I study is uh, social enterprise forms. Um, and it's like basically how we change things from the top. So it's really cool to talk about how people can change their individual, like, uh, you know, processes and how they think about things. But we also need to be thinking about how our businesses, how they think, because uh, they're actually individuals under the law, right? But they're, they need to think differently as well. And they need to have different um, avenues, right? So there's this uh, professor, his name's Haskell Murray. Uh, he's a professor at uh, Belmont School of Law. And uh, he does a lot of really cool research. And I'll put that in behind the tofu.com slash sources. Um, but one of the things that he says is that we need to change the incentive programs that are in these big enterprises and essentially make it where uh, shareholders, right? Shareholder wealth maximization is not like the big, um, I guess, kind of thing that they want to do. So we need to change the way the businesses think as well, not just the way that we think. So I guess, how do you think businesses should change their mindset? Um, and what is a good way, I guess, for individuals to start to think about how we change our business forms. Obviously, you know, we could just get rid of businesses, but you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, that's a, it's huge to think about all the businesses. Cause mo for the most part, I think in an ideal world, we have a lot fewer businesses um, we, and a lot fewer of these things being produced. But the ones that, you know, people are always gonna need some stuff. They're always gonna have to buy some things um, so I think businesses needs to be thinking about how they can reduce their, their environmental impact, how they can, uh, source their materials without new natural resources, right. Without mining or, or even farming in some cases, um, how we can just get, use what's already in circulation, um, to make new stuff. And that's where I really want to see businesses taking their, uh, the future, you know, going that direction and changing, you know, their, there's a lot of businesses that, um, are using, uh, renewable energy to, to run their factories and things like that. Like I think are really the direction that, that businesses should be going in. And I wish there was more, you know, there, I agree with you a hundred percent. One person's change is nothing in comparison to one business, right. Or one corporation, uh, the impact that they could have is massive. Um, so there should be a lot more focus on putting pressure on businesses to change their, their practices and their business model. Thank you guys so much. 
I'm sorry, I have to take off now. ARPD? <laughs> oh, ARPD is something that I that I think is best on a local kind of level. If I'm, if anyone's in New York City, please you can look up on Facebook Animal Rights Professional Development. Um, it's a, a, a group that I started. See if there's anything else. I have. I mean, I have a a, a a business as a dietitian. If anyone's looking for dietitian services, you can find me uh, at heartfelthealthy.com. That's my that's my website. And people can, I mean, people can feel free to reach out to me. I'm on Facebook at, as Gail Mayer for, you know, for zero waste lifestyle, anti-consumption, any kind of, you know, vegan issues, health, nutrition, human rights, environmental stuff. I, I kind of have my hand in a lot of different things. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your stories and your perspectives with us. I really enjoyed hearing from you. I learned so much. I feel this is the most I've learned in an episode and I'm so excited uh, to look more into it. That's so cool. You know, I feel like a lot of the things we talked about could be uh, could be isolated and have a deeper conversation about individually. So if any of the things, um, you know, that we covered or maybe something else is something that you want to just spend more time digging deeper into, um, I'd be interested in that too. Um, we'll definitely have you back for sure. Uh, if that's okay with you. <laughs> totally. All right. Have a great day. Thank, Thank you, you so Gail. Much. And this has been Behind the Tofu.